Hello, my name is Bobby George from the Bondek Montessori, and I'm here with Charlotte Wood. Hi! We're going to have a conversation about Montessori today. To get things started, I thought we'd start out with a wonderful quote from the French philosopher Jean-Marie Gilloux. He says, Through seeing others smile, the child smiles too. Would you like to jump in, Miss Wood? Well, everything that the child learns, um, they learn through seeing adults and other children in their environment through um, from learning how to talk and learning how to walk and um, learning how to smile and what makes people smile and what makes them happy. And every child is born empathetic. Um, and in the classroom, we get to help establish that as a lasting personality trait and <laughs> and um, bring it to the surface. Uh, someone famous once told us that she thought Montessori was love blossoming. And so I love that connection of like being happy and smiling and joyful and engaged and wanting to learn. Is that how you see Montessori? I find a lot of joy in learning, but it's certainly not all pleasant all the time. Um, a lot of what children do every day and a lot of what I remember from educational experience through college and beyond is really, really hard, but um, the satisfaction is so joyful and um, delighting in the struggle and knowing that something good is going to come of all of this hard work, um, whether it be an end product or um, enlightening that love and enlightening that, that smile um, or turning in uh, a paper that you're really satisfied with. Um, all of those things do bring out joy um, without diminishing the, the hard work and sometimes the, the strife that not being able to do something right away can, can bring. Yeah, I think that's a really great connection. And to, to bring it back to uh, Jean-Marie Gilloux, who was a big proponent of auto-education or this idea that, you know, learning is the cultivation of oneself, uh, which Maria Montessori was familiar with and kind of took over from, um, is this idea of willpower. Like, it takes will to learn. Um, and I just wondered if you had any thoughts on that. Like, you know, what what is the will of childhood? Or wh what does it take to be a child? So we're born with a really strong desire to adapt and to become a person of this place and time. Um, and um, there is very little um, that can stifle the young child's willpower to to learn how to walk or to learn how to crawl. Um, and I think that really highlights that um, dichotomy between um, desire and, and joyful expression, but also um, the struggle and the purpose of when you're watching a child learn how to crawl. They look really frustrated and they're really <laughs> focused on what they're doing and they can't do it yet. Um, but nothing's going to stop them. And um, that's really joyful and inspiring for us to watch. And, and then when they're able to do it, they find so much joy in that movement. And I think sometimes it can get stifled when um, the child reaches a certain level of awareness. They see that 
adults and older children around them can do things that they're not yet able to do. And even with their hardest efforts, sometimes they're still not able to do it. Um, but we get to help them to achieve all of those things um, in a really kind and empathetic way. Um, there have been a lot of tears shed over not being able to tie one's shoes, um, but there's also a lot of joy and satisfaction in being able to tie your shoes and helping others to tie their shoes once you're able to do it for yourself. I, I really love this idea that you brought out of you know having a place and a time for the children to learn. And I was just wondering if you could you know dive a little bit deeper into that, um, kind of twofold. One, uh, uh, kind of extrapolating the idea that a, a guide plays in the Montessori environment. So as opposed to a teacher, which is directly teaching a child, the Montessori guide prepares the environment for the children to learn. So that was the first point, the teacher's role. Uh, and the second point is like, um, well, we'll get to the second point later, so we don't have to remember too much. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I was just having a really interesting conversation with a parent this week um, who is really interested in having their child be in a Montessori classroom, but they asked the same question that every parent asks um, when they come and visit the classroom for the first time is, I can see how the children walk carefully or carry themselves with grace, but can my child do that? How do they do that? Um, and I think that that's a huge part of what we do as teachers. And when we're in our teacher training, um, half of what we learn is um, how to present the materials, but the other half of what we learn is how to be. Um, and um, Maria Montessori writes that we're a part of the environment, that prepared adult is a huge part of the environment. Um, but um, that really has taken um, being a teacher instead of learning about how to be a teacher for me to, to take into myself of how much we have to adapt ourselves to what the child is capable of. Um, we can do so much um, that the child can't do yet or that we don't necessarily want the child to, to do. Um, we want them to still show joy in learning. We don't want them to have the same frustrations we had about grammar or about math or about learning French past participles. Um, we want them to find everything as exciting as they find helping their friend tie their shoe. Um, and so in preparing ourselves to come into the classroom as part of our teacher training and also as a part of each day, um, we have to let go of all of our baggage um, regarding how we feel about a certain material or about how the weather is making us feel um, or about math at large and um, prepare ourselves to be um, the best in humanity um, in order to help the child achieve so much more than we're currently capable of. Yeah, that's really great. Um, so to point number two, which was uh, time, uh, you know, place and time are two historically really large concepts that Montessori does a great job of combining. And I think today, like if, uh, you know, you took a poll, one of the largest national concerns is over the phenomenon of attention. 
um, in particular the inability for children to concentrate for extended periods of time. And so I was just wondering if you could kind of talk to this point about how uh, Montessori cultivates time for children um, and how essentially that attention is the secret of education. Um, Well, there has been research um, not specific to Montessori, but um, in education and as education plays a huge role in our lives um, as adults, even when we're past um, education age, um, of that what is necessary for success is grit and um, tenacity and task persistence. Um, Or willpower. Yeah, exactly, exactly, or willpower. Um, And um, all of that has to do with attention, And I think that sometimes children are not given as much grace as they should because the spectrum of allowable attention is so narrow. So often children who pay too much attention are labeled as having autistic tendencies and children who pay too little attention are labeled as having ADHD. (laughs) And only if you get to that magic sweet spot of the appropriate level of attention that the adults outside of you think is what's necessary are you deemed as um, successful Um, but I have seen every child concentrate on something um, whether or not they want to concentrate on what I think they should be concentrating (laughs) on at the minute they are all capable of intense concentration however long that lasts um, has to do with a lot of external factors. And um, children these days have a lot more coming at them than um, they did when um, Maria Montessori um, developed um, this pedagogy. Um, just the noise pollution in the world at large is so much greater than it was 100 years ago. Um, but they are persistent and even in light of all the busyness that is happening in daily lives, they are completely able to concentrate. Um, and that is an act of, of against all odds, defiance. <laughs> yeah. And um, what they are able to achieve when you see that magic of attention happen um, is absolutely incredible. There can be so much happening around them. Somebody spilled water right behind them, and they are still so focused on getting those cylinder blocks exactly where they need to go. Um, it's incredible. Yeah. Uh, G.U., to quote him again, I've been reading him a lot lately. <laughs> New favorite. <laughs> New favorite. Uh, he says, it really struck me because it really resonates so well with Montessori. He says, and I quote, attention is order and earnestness of thought. And I really love the clarity of that statement and like the determination of it because you see it exhibited every day in Montessori classrooms. And I, I was just wondering if you know we could get a little bit deeper into the layers of um, how attention is more specifically fostered in a Montessori environment. And I mean, one of the ways that I think about it is that, um, and I, I re- I'm going to repeat this, but Montessori prepares the conditions in which children are allowed to explore their interests at their own pace. So the idea of a teacher becomes one that exerts her energies or his efforts on the environment itself instead of specifically on the child all the time. 
And so I'm kind of a formula person. So my formula would be that um, giving attention is about creating the conditions in which attention can happen. Mm -hmm. But a Montessori teacher or guide, as we call them, gives the attention to the environment. Mm -hmm. I was wondering if you had any thoughts on on that. Yeah. A lot to unpack. Um, and it's in French. Yeah, right? Um, plus the translating. <laughs> um, so I think that the um, order and earnestness um, is so interesting because um, when a child scrubs a table because um, they couldn't think of anything else to do, and that was my work choice suggestion, they do it, and they do it beautifully. Um, but... Um, if they are doing it because that's what they came in the door wanting to do that morning, um, it just is so much more um, integral to their development of attention um, because there is that there is that earnestness, there is that eagerness. Um, just the other day, I had somebody who washed chalkboards for. Two and a half hours. Um, I don't know if they've ever been cleaner or wetter. Um, (laughs) But there was so much earnestness, and there was definitely an order to it, as much as a three-year-old could be capable of the first time he came to this work. Um, But um, he had the pattern down. He knew he had to go get water first, and that the sponge needed to be a certain level of wet um, and there was so much joy and earnestness in it. There was singing that was happening, um, and it was not to disturb his friends. It was it was this joyful and this completely engaged in the moment um, that his attention was not silent and focused and um, and serious the way so often we do see attention. It was com- he was the only person in the whole classroom. He might as well have been the only person in the whole world um, because <laughs> it was all he wanted to do. And when it was time to go home, it was disappointing for him that this, this time for order and earnestness was over and that he was on to a different activity. Um, and we put so much focus into preparing the materials and preparing the shelves and preparing the classroom for the child. Um, I don't just say, okay, go wash chalkboards. It's, this is the bucket that goes with washing chalkboards. And the first thing we need to do is put on an apron. And so there is such preparation for the, for the child. And I feel like anytime I've forgotten a step, I have robbed them of that opportunity Mm. for order. And have I robbed them for the opportunity of attention? Um, And every one of our materials, I think the um, practical life materials come to mind particularly. Um, There is so much attention placed on order because it is one of the first things that the child encounters in our room of how do you do this and why is it important and how am I holding my hand um, and what is the process involved and that leads to so much that happens that the fact that in a Montessori classroom a child can work with something for as long as they want that gives the order which we've prepared so much um, the opportunity to um, tap into that child's earnestness. Um, And so if we do the order part 
and we make the learning a joyful experience, the child can come up with the um, eager attitude and how does that not call for more attention and yeah. focus? That's very eloquently stated. Um, one last thought, which, <laughs> which is a big one, and then we'll leave everyone there. But um, I, I think one of the major turns that we will witness or that we are witnessing in the 21st century is this turn from this idea of you know, what could be called like a philosophical therapeutics of the self or an education of the individual as opposed to the community. And so I was just wondering to try to connect all the dots here. How do you envision the willpower of the children connecting to that attention and what role can that play on the community? And Montessori, and a lot of people are really, um, have lots of conversations around what she was talking about and trying to produce when she talked about um, cultivating a science of peace or scientists that were peaceful. I was wondering if you could elaborate on that. Um, I think that um, the fact that babies are born empathetic and um, are designed to um, connect with um, the people around them for survival. And then once they start to have bits of um, independence, um, they don't lose that empathy. But um, in defining themselves, there also needs to be some moments of separateness and not like. As soon as a toddler is out of diapers, everyone who is still in a diaper is the other. And they need to get some distance from that um, to feel a little bit grown up. Um, but then as they get just a little bit older, that empathy is reawakened because they see, um, they're able to see the, the pain or the struggle in somebody who's a little bit younger than them in something that they can't do, which is a skill that the child only recently achieved. So, um, somebody who only recently learned how to fold their blanket immediately turns to their friend who did not want to wake up from their nap and did not want to get up and go potty and wants their mom now and helps them to <laughs> fold their blanket. Um, and that empathy is right back with them. Um, so as these children are given opportunities to exercise their empathy um, and to develop their confidence and social skills in an environment that's based upon the idea of collaboration um, and competition with yourself um, and not looking for others to fail, but looking to aid in their success as well. The fact that we live in a society where the world is brought together so instantaneously through technology and through worldwide travel, um, that empathy doesn't exist only with people who are in your same classroom or in your same family, but that empathy can exist to people who are on the other side of the world. Um, and that becomes your community. And so as we have a generation of children who have grown up in 
um, a world that has never existed beyond FaceTime and um, Skype. Um, the whole world is their community. And if we can encourage that empathy in all of them, um, how could this be a world without peace? I'm very empathetic to that. <laughs> right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, it leaves us uh, with some more tasks to accomplish on another day. So thank you for taking the time to chat today. And Thanks. I look forward to our next conversation. Thank you.